This episode of The Space Show Podcast is dedicated to the memory of former Space Association of Australia President and longtime contributor to the program, Peter Aylward, who passed away in Melbourne last week after a valiant battle with cancer. He was 65. Welcome to the Space Show, presented by members of the Space Association of Australia. Hello, I'm Andrew Rennie. On this evening's The Space Show, the hunt for the missing 95% of the universe. (laughs) Yeah, it's missing. Send out the uh, people. And 20 years since the launch of the Mars Exploration Rover Opportunity. A satellite is speeding away from Earth on a mission to hunt for the missing 95% of the universe. The Euclid Cosmology spacecraft was launched in the early hours of Saturday morning, Melbourne time, and is to be stationed at a point one and a half million kilometres from Earth. The matter that makes you and me, the Earth, planets and stars, is only 5% of the mass energy of the universe. Now, cosmologists don't know where the missing 95% is, much less what it is made of. Our past efforts to solve this puzzle have used the Hubble Space Telescope. Jennifer Wiseman, a senior project scientist with the Hubble Space Telescope, and John Mather, Nobel laureate, explain... Because the Hubble Space Telescope is operating so well and is so scientifically effective right now, scientists are using Hubble to investigate some of the deepest mysteries of the universe. One mystery is dark energy. That's the name just kind of plastered on this phenomenon that Hubble and other telescopes together, we found that the universe expansion has been accelerating for the last few billion years. Well, what is causing that? We don't know. It's something about a repulsive force that we may not fully understand or new physics that we don't fully understand. But Hubble was used along in complement with some telescopes on the ground to determine that the expansion of the universe is in fact accelerating by something we're now calling dark energy. And without Hubble, we would have not been able to make this detection, which is now a Nobel Prize winning discovery. 
This explains why the universe appears to be accelerating now when it used to be slowing down because of gravity. So now the question is, well, is this a simple story or is it complicated? Is there more than one kind of dark energy? Has the dark energy itself changed over time? So Hubble is now being used to refine even further that expansion rate of the universe in our current epoch and trying to compare that to what might be predicted from looking at other measurements of the universe with other telescopes. Right now we're finding a discrepancy between what we might have expected and what we're actually measuring. So that's one realm where Hubble is really at the cutting edge of helping us understand or at least open up new mysteries of the universe. Well, this new Euclid Observatory will take up the challenge. In 1915, Albert Einstein astonished the world with his general theory of relativity. It described the behaviour of the entire universe based on the matter and energy contained within it. The theory sparked the modern discipline of cosmology and the hope that we would finally understand how the universe came to be. But in recent times, the effort to define what the universe is made of has given us a very big surprise. Visible stars and galaxies make up less than 5% of the universe's total matter and energy. Beneath this visible layer is a mysterious celestial realm, consisting of shadowy particles and unknown energy fields. For decades, Astronomers have puzzled at their nature, calling these elusive substances dark matter and dark energy. ESA's Euclid mission will go in search of the answer to the fundamental question, what is the universe made of? A European-designed mission, Euclid is built and operated by ESA, with contributions from the International Euclid Consortium and NASA. ESA selected Talas Alenia Space to lead on building Euclid, with Airbus Defence and Space providing the telescope and payload module. The telescope and scientific instruments form the heart of the mission. Together, they will observe billions of galaxies over more than one-third of the sky. Producing record quantities of data, Euclid will enable scientists to draw a precise map of the universe across space and time. This will allow researchers to investigate the effects of dark matter and dark energy on the apparent shape of galaxies and on their motion and distribution over immense distances. In turn, this will help reveal the true nature of dark matter and dark energy. The spacecraft and data communications will be controlled from ESA's European Space Operations Centre in Darmstadt. To cope with the vast amounts of data Euclid will acquire, ESA's EZTRAC network of deep space antennas has been upgraded. These data will be analysed by the Euclid Consortium, a group of more than 2,000 scientists from more than 300 institutes across Europe, the US, Canada and Japan. Understanding the elusive nature of the universe has drawn astronomers throughout history. It remains one of the most challenging investigations in modern science, but Euclid is up to the task. The Euclid mission is a quest into the unknown, a mission to shine a light on the dark side of the universe. 
and this additional explanation from the European Space Agency. The universe is not what it appears to be. Visible stars and galaxies make up less than 5% of its total matter and energy. The rest consists of mysterious invisible substances called dark matter and dark energy. ESA's Euclid Space Telescope is a mission to investigate this dark side of the universe. A display of innovative engineering, the 4.7 metres tall spacecraft carries two instruments that will examine visible and infrared light from distant galaxies. It's taken more than 3,500 people in 21 countries, working in more than 300 institutions and 80 companies to make Euclid a reality. This extraordinary telescope will observe around 6 billion galaxies, creating a 3D map of the universe, spanning the last 10 billion years of cosmic history. The shapes of the galaxies and their distribution across the universe provide vital clues about the nature and behaviour of the dark matter and dark energy. Analyzing Euclid's data will allow us to see the universe not like it appears, but more like it really is. Australians have a key role in the Euclid mission. The European Space Agency's Space Tracking Station at New Norcia in Western Australia is one of several to track, command and downlink data from Euclid. During the launch commentary from Darmstadt in Germany, Susie Jackson, who was at the New Norcia site, is manager of the New Norcia station. So this is a major milestone of the mission that we're going to be talking about for the first time after launch, and that is the acquisition of signal. That's what that's what we're going to wait for. That is our milestone for today. So our uh, next guest is going to play a major role in making that happen, getting that signal from the spacecraft. Uh, and through the wonders of technology, we're going to go over and talk to them. They're the other side of the globe, uh, way over in Australia. So let's see if we can get Susie Jackson, the manager of the new Norsha ground station, on the line. Uh, hi Susie, welcome to the broadcast. I can see an absolutely beautiful dish behind you. Uh, so tell me how it is involved in the mission and did you have to do anything special to prepare for Euclid? Uh, yes, g'day. Um, so as you can see, you know your one's behind me, that's a 35 metre um, antenna that we'll be using tonight to acquire, uh, to acquire Euclid. Um, this is actually a reasonably routine support for us tonight. Of course, there's a little bit more, uh, a, a little bit more stress involved because it's the first acquisition for a spacecraft. So we'll be, we'll be running this one with both New Norcia One behind me and also New Norcia Two, which is up on the hill, which is a small acquisition aid antenna, a four and a half meter antenna, to make sure that we add to abs make sure absolutely that we get the signal from uh, from Euclid as soon as it turns on. So how are you able to give, uh, can you give us a rundown of how you actually track the spacecraft? Yeah, so we start off using a wide band, uh, uh, sorry, a wide beam antenna at Unosia 2. So we're never quite exactly sure where the spacecraft is as it comes over the horizon. So we use a, an antenna that's got a nice wide beam in order to capture, capture the signal from the spacecraft. At first, uh, we're expecting the acquisition to be about 10,000 kilometres distant to us, which is in, in, 
in our uh, in our book is extremely close. So we can use the small antenna that has a very large pattern. So we're able to uh, see the spacecraft even if it's a little bit off course. And then uh, once we've got once we've zeroed in on the spacecraft, we track in on the actual signal that the spacecraft is is uh, is uh, transmitting to us, and we're able to lock onto that. And then we're able to steer the large large antenna behind me to uh, to uh, get the get the very very high gain on the spacecraft. I think it's about time that we uh, check in with Susie Jackson now, the manager over at New Norcia, the other side of the world, in Australia. There uh, uh, we go. So welcome back, Susie. Uh, it's not long now before your big before your big dish. In fact, I complete, it's completely changed direction. Is going to be directly pointing at our intrepid spacecraft. Can you give us a little bit more detail about how this works and what to do next and what the next 10 minutes might look like? Yeah, so first of all, you'll see the uh, uh, dish behind me will start to rise. We'll um, hope for uh, acquisition of signal from the spacecraft pretty much straight away. Uh, we're tracking both the uh, launcher vehicle, the, the top of the Falcon 9 rocket, uh, in S-band, plus we're also tracking the spacecraft itself so that we, so we'll be able to see um, everything that's happening that's happening as things come over the horizon and as, as soon as we've got telemetry we'll start uh, steering the steering the dish here to uh, lock onto that lock onto that signal and we'll be able to get the signal down from Euclid and then once we get up to about five degrees up in the sky we'll be able to start talking back so we'll turn on our transmitters and we'll start sending the very first the very first commands telecommands up to uh, the Euclid spacecraft so that we can uh, get the testing underway and get things going. So thank you, Susie. It's always a pleasure to, to, to hear from you. And uh, please stay put because uh, we'll need you back. Hey, they're all positions ready. We have a signal from Euclid in space. Well, there we have it. The acquisition of signal has been confirmed. And wow, <laughs> these spacecraft like to keep us waiting and in suspense, don't they? That is fantastic news. The team will now be talking to the spacecraft and checking all is well after the launch. Uh, so uh, I think it's time we let's go back to Susie and see that very dish that is actually pointing well, exactly at the spacecraft like as, we, as, as we speak. So Excellent. Susie, well you've got the spacecraft in your sight. What now? As you can see behind me, we're tracking, we're tracking Euclid now. We're getting telemetry from Euclid and shortly we'll be uh, turning on the transmitters and talking back to Euclid. So uh, we'll be able to see Euclid on his journey. Uh, we'll be tracking Euclid uh, through the uh, early hours of the morning here until sort of three o'clock. At the moment it's only 10,000 kilometres away but we expect to uh, track it out to about 90,000 kilometres range and um, you'll see the dish behind me will rise up to about 45 degrees and then it'll actually come back down and set again over here in the west and uh, we'll hand over to our sister station in Spain at Sobreros, which is another beautiful big 35 metre dish just like this one for ESA and they'll track it uh, as it goes past them and then of course they'll, they'll hand over to Malague station in Argentina and then tomorrow we get it back. So over the next few days we maintain 100% coverage for Euclid so that the scientists and engineers who um, are tasked with looking after the spacecraft can uh, get on with their commissioning tests and get on with all of their uh, all of the work that they have to do over the coming days to settle the spacecraft down. So much, Susie. That is such exciting news. Yes, and the spacecraft is now well on its way towards the 
Stationary point L2, Lagrange point number two, one and a half million kilometres away from the Earth in the anti-sun direction, away from the sun, and it should be there in about a month, and then it will start doing its work. The Space Show, bringing the universe home to the Bayside, Wednesday evenings at 7pm. 20 years ago, a Delta II rocket was standing on the launch pad at the Cape Canaveral Air Force Station in Florida. Encapsulated in its nose cone, or should we say payload fairing, was the second Mars Exploration Rover Opportunity. This coming Friday will be the 20th anniversary of its launch into an interplanetary trajectory that would see it land on Mars in 2004, January the 25th. You're listening to 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside. As noted, this coming Friday will be the 20th anniversary of Opportunity's launch into an interplanetary trajectory that would see it land on Mars on 2004, January the 25th. Encased in airbags, the 180-kilogram six-wheeled rover would bounce and roll on Miradani Planum, coming to rest in a small, shallow crater. The airbags deflated, exposing the rover atop its landing platform. After surveying its surroundings with its stereoscopic cameras, Opportunity rolled off the lander onto the rust-coloured surface of Mars. And so began what engineers at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena hoped would be a 90-sole mission. A sol, by the way, is a Martian day, which is 24 hours and 37 minutes. To everyone's surprise, it lasted 5,111 souls. That's 15 Earth years. Designed to travel up to 600 metres, Opportunity roamed 45.16 kilometres before a planet-wide severe dust storm cut the sunlight needed by the solar-powered vehicle. On this evening's The Space Show, we tell the story of Opportunity's 15-year exploration of the Miradani Planum as expressed in the verse written by English poet Stuart Atkinson. Now, Stuart did not start writing about Opportunity until December of 2008. By that time, the rover was nearing the ninth anniversary of the landing. After some weeks examining the sedimentary rocks of the shallow landing crater, Opportunity moved up onto the flat, barren and sandy Miradani Planum. Skirting several small craters, on 2004, June the 15th, that's Sol 134, the rover entered a 130-metre diameter, 20-metre-deep impact crater called Endurance. On Sol 315, that's 2004, December the 14th, Opportunity climbed out of Endurance and began the long trek to Victoria Crater. During 2005, the rover came across its heat shield and further along its path, a meteorite lying on the sandy surface. 
After passing Bostock Crater, Opportunity travelled a further two and a half kilometres to Erebus Crater. Now this turned out to be a very shallow feature of diameter 350 metres. And the drive there had lasted from Seoul 550 to Seoul 750. That is, from October of 2005 to March of 2006. There being nothing of interest at Erebus, the rover was commanded to drive at maximum speed over terrain that alternated between bare rock and sandy ridges. Perhaps the rover drivers in Pasadena had become too confident because in attempting to drive over one sandy ridge, opportunity became bogged down. Attempts to drive the 1.6 metre long rover forward out of the dune only resulted in the wheels digging deeper. Controllers decided on another tactic and they applied it. Commands were sent to drive backwards, moving only millimetres for every wheel rotation. Opportunity was eventually freed after many souls. The long drive towards the 800 metre diameter Victoria crater resumed. Opportunity's maximum speed was 5 centimetres per second. That is 0.18 kilometres per hour and the average speed was one centimetre per second. Well, it was during this drive that Stuart Atkinson posted his first poem, which summarised the journey so far. Across Meridiani By Stuart Atkinson I woke, cold and cramped, after half a year of silent, fetal sleep, to feel grit sting my startled face, Unfolding, unfurling my silicon wings. A bright metal butterfly, newborn on the new world. I ached to see the sun. Yet of that blessed sun, no sign. Instead I stared, aghast, at a rearing wall. Of ochre dust and ruddy rock. Surrounding me, confining me. Imprisoned in an eagle's nest I watched. The exiled sky and cried. That sky, shrunk to a porthole. Brightened, darkened, brightened again for. Endless day after endless day. No summer or sunset, merely shades. Of purple, pink and plum that waxed. And wane then waxed pale again. But in my sunken prison. Wonders. Layer upon lapping layer of ancient, crumbling stone. Stared back at me from the walls, berries by the billion. Glinted around me, here gathered in a hollow, there hissing. And rolling towards me in a torrent as I turned. My unblinking eyes towards the sky and saw. The stars. An eternity passed, or so I thought. Before I left that place, my tortured soul. For myriad tormented souls scream to be. Set free, to leave El Capitan behind and climb. Up to touch the shining sky again. To feel the sun and star and earth light on my face. At last, at last. The overworld. 
in all directions, the horizon, an alien world revealed. In all its ochre, dune-decorated glory. Above me a sky magnificent and monstrous loomed. Dwarfing all, a cloak of shimmering light. Embroidered with sequined stars throughout Mars' frigid night. Laughing, away from my imprisoning eerie fled I. Commanded by the makers to trek. O'er the dusty dune sea of old Meridiani. To endurance, my first abyss. A soft-hued sapphire lantern shining in the sunset glow. Earth guided me, comforted me. As sol after sol I slogged between the rippled banks. Of dirt until, one sunrise, a jagged edge drew near. Looking down. More dunes, far, far below. Time sculpted waves of tan and tawny fines. To one side, cliffs of crumbling, slumbering stone. On all others, grim mineral gargoyles leered mischievously. Then, in, a plunge into the abyss, the new world. Tilting round as I tiptoed down the rocky ramp. That led into Endurance's dusty cellar. To Rome, for a hundred souls or more, past spires, of stone already old when earth was young. Past what may, some ancient Martian monsters. Fossilized, discarded brain, to stand. Beside the wind-whipped dunes and watch them. Glint like diamond dust as the sky frothed with stars above. And yet, e'en surrounded by such wonders still. I yearned for the freedom of the open sky. And the eternal earth to steer me homewards by. At last I climbed, so slow, so slow until finally my. Beloved sky returned, my wheels kissed solid steady rock. Once more and I left my first abyss behind. Fleeing south into the even wider, even deeper dusty sea. That stood between me and the maker's grail. Victoria. Souls blurred together now, time's very ticking stalled. As I pushed on into the sea, its waves turning and twisting. Around and across my path so wickedly. I screamed and cursed their birth. Whilst above me the sun shone peacefully, endlessly. Watching my journey unfold. Watching coldly as. For a tortured time I was entrapped. My wheels, entombed in dust like flies in seeping. Sucking amber. Frozen I could move no more than I could fly. Imprisoned again, this time in a cruel purgatory I could only watch the season shift around me. As becalmed as a ship on a silent, sullen sea. Then free, and surging south again. Savoring, relishing once more the feel. Of the dust beneath my wheels hissing and swishing away. Before me now, the final challenge. A window into this poor world's pummeled past. Victoria. My third. My last. Abyss. The maker's hearts beat fast at the thought of it. Imagining, dreaming of the images I will take. 
from its vertiginous, ancient edge. But will I have the strength to see such wonders? None will say, all know, as do I. I should not be here today, each sunset could be my last. I know I may die here, alone between places. Victoria's heart never seen. No monument for me on the crater's sharp edge. Nor statue bearing my name, just my carcass. Picked clean by Meridiani's vulture winds. A rusted scrap pile at the end of meandering tracks. But am I frightened? Afraid? No. My heart is at peace. My life should have been over by now. Many things I have seen were not meant to be seen. Not by me, not this time, anyhow. Nor am I lonely, I am never alone. As I stride to Victoria's edge. A million souls walk with me. Their names etched on to my unbeating heart. Telling me stories to make time fly faster. They tell me of things I can never have seen. Sharing with me their memories of their lush, living world. Let's me picture how Mars might have been. Her volcanoes rising from sun-dappled oceans. Cotton wool clouds at their peaks. Mighty Marinris, Sol System's Grand Canyon. A slender lake bordered by green. All sheltering beneath a towering sky. As blue as a kingfisher's wing. I ache that I came here three billion years late. To see such beautiful things. But that past is a mirage, a melancholy memory. The future is what I must face. Ahead of me, Victoria, two bumps on the skyline. Distant sirens singing my name. Had robots gods I would pray to mine now. Let me reach her before I die. Let me stand on the edge of my final abyss. Gaze down at the dunes far below. Let me read from those pages of ancient Mars history. Chiefs of time wearied, star-hardened stone. And show them Makos the secrets they yearn for. Let me find what they sent me to seek. Let me answer their questions, solve their mysteries. Let the makers be proud of me. But don't send me to die there, down in the dust. Exiled from the sun and the stars. I have traveled so far, done all they have asked. Been obedient. When my wheels turn their last, and my dusty eyes dim. Let me take my last breath standing tall. With the distant horizon calling to me. Not another imprisoning wall. It was Sol 951, 2006 September, when Opportunity reached the rim of the 70-metre-deep Victoria Crater. The rover spent a year scouting along the rim in a partial circumnavigation. Stuart Atkinson noted Sol 1000 with a poem. And uh, by the way, Basum is a name given to Mars by writer 
Edgar Rice Burroughs. 1000 Sunsets by Stuart Atkinson. 1000 Sunsets have I seen. 1000 Blue Dawns too. 1000 Nights of Knife Sharp Cold. Have I endured to send you images of Barsoom's beautiful burgundy peaks? It's rubble, rocks and stones, all scoured by dust, once under cool water, but now dry as fire-flensed bones. One thousand times pale Sol has traced her arc above my head, but no ball of fire shines in these eyes, instead, a one and wasted disc, a coin of faded gold, the brutal cold of Mars, that chills me to my core, too deep for Sol's meager heat to ever hope to thaw. And so I wake from sleep each dawn to find, a fine stitched cloak of hoarfrost covers me. One thousand purple velvet dusks, have left me close to tears, fearful, not for my own frail self, but for your world, my dearest. Makers, the sapphire splinter beacon I see, blazing as a star before I sleep seems, so small from here, it sink blue oceans, forests, fields and streams reduced, to a twinkling tinkerbell gleam, a spark of laughter, life and love, that could grow roaring into a galaxy devouring, forest fire in far far future years to come or be snuffed out in an instant, smoke curling. From its seared remains the only sign, that man was here, leaving me standing alone, staring at where the evening star used to be. Ten times longer have I lived than I, was meant to do, oh, I am so tired now, cold and old, with worn wheels weary from turning and sleep-starved eyes burning, with the grit that dust devils spit into them whenever they spin by. But I shall not die, not yet, not yet. There is much more for these fading eyes to see. All I ask is this, go stand under the stars tonight. Look up, and think of me. 88.3 Southern FM on this evening's The Space Show, we are marking the 20th anniversary of the launch of the Opportunity Mars Exploration Rover. Now, as Opportunity explored the clifftops of Victoria Crater, the scientists back on Earth were trying to spot a way the rover could get down into the crater. Most parts of the rim were vertical cliffs, or extremely treacherous, steep sandy slopes. But, after discussions between the scientists anxious to sample the exposed sedimentary layers of rock in the crater walls, and engineers concerned that the slope would be too great for opportunity to climb back up, it was agreed to negotiate a ramp of rock free of sand. Then, a dust storm blew up, delaying the entry into Victoria by six weeks. The storm. 
by Stuart Atkinson. The sun has almost gone now, fading from my sight behind. A molasses murky sky, and earth's post-sunset sapphire spark is just a distant memory. I cannot move, and new Victorian vistas must await until Sol's golden glow warms my frozen heart again for I am cold, so cold, and feel ten thousand souls old. As I stand here, fearful that the dust I see fouling the sky above me will fall suddenly, smothering me, Mars murdering me, with a deadly pillow of particles pushed down against my face. But I am not dead yet, and although I itch insanely, and would scratch myself to wreckage if I had been built with hands, I shall stand here, sentinel still, until the sky begins to clear, or I hear my stubborn heartbeat begin to slow, and then I'll know my stay on Meridiani's rolling plains is at an end, and you, my faithful friends out there, must promise not to mourn for me, but celebrate my life and all the wondrous sights we saw together. Never think of me with sadness but be glad. We walked this world hand in hand, cresting wind-carved dunes, swooning at the sight of sunlight painting endurance's epic walls, falling to an ease in or as Victoria's rippled floor opened up before us. But trust me, while a single warming spark sputters on inside my shivering heart, I will prevail, and as the dust clouds sail across my sky I shall just close my eyes against the wind and bide my time. For Barsoom gloomiest, darkest day is still a thing of beauty. And if I am to die, here I will still have lived a life far longer than was planned in this land of rock and stone. Meridiani is my home. And if Victoria is to be my lonely tomb then there is no view I would rather see. As I drift into my final sleep, one of the amazing pictures from the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, which, as its name suggests, orbits Mars, was a picture of Opportunity and its wheel tracks on the rim of Victoria Crater. That image moved Stuart to write about it. Sleeping, by Stuart Atkinson, posted on 2008, December 7th. There she is. See her. That tiny black speck on the crater's crumbling edge, just above the ledge where the new world falls away and tan becomes grey with berries hissing and pouring into Victoria's dune-rippled heart. See that dark dot? We made that, man, women and men, thousands of them, worker ants in white coats or ties, eyes fat from days without sleep, creeping home after dawn from their offices, factories and labs, whispering, sorry, again as they slid into bed, 
Another meal or birthday party missed. See that ink spot on the edge of the abyss? We made this. Built it by hand in spotlight bright clean rooms. We groomed, evolved apes bent metal against its but to our will. Imagine that, monkey paws that once chipped flint and ripped bloodied skins from spear-skewered prey now shape steel into wheels that rove across Mars. Electronically embroidering silicon into miniature medieval tapestries of glorious silver and gold, they gently turn wrenches, tightening bolts on panels and plates late night after late night, weary but thrilled by the sight of their dreams taking shape piece by piece by piece by piece. No, that's no fleck on the lens, that's a metal Magellan exploring an ocean of dust, sailing o'er rust-colored cobbles and stones to stand on the edge of Victoria and, hands shaking, roar at the pink sky, Ultraia. One day men, women and children, Mars born, with faces pale from lack of sun and limbs lengthened to long-fingered branches by their world's begrudged gravity, will come to this place to stare at her statue and be amazed, imagining the day when brave opportunity, caked with dust and wearied from her trek from purgatory and over and through a thousand deep dunes hauled herself to the edge of the bay and said, enough, let me rest here with the great sky above and gnarled, gargoyle-clutted cliffs on all sides. Let me hide here, peering down into this stadium of stone. I am home, let me sleep. Make me travel no more. See that moat on Mars sands. There we stand, each of us, each Martian dreamer, fanatic and fool. Our hearts are her heart, her dust-dried eyes our own. A mere machine is she no longer, if she ever was. But a ship, as noble and strong as the creaking, slapping sailed craft after which the great crater was named, carrying our hopes in her hold as she boldly goes where no ape-built machine has gone before, to the shores of an amber-hued ocean of dreams. There she is. See her? That tiny black speck on the crater's crumbling edge sleeping on sol 1293 a year after arriving at victoria's rim opportunity entered the crater it was september of 2007 two years later stuart atkinson remembered that dramatic event and uh, oh by the way mars's evening star is the earth not venus over the Top by Stuart Atkinson She's on borrowed time, I heard them say. Turning from their screens, I mean. Every day's a bonus now, she should show us. All she can before her time runs out. Besides, there's nowhere else to go. So, here I go. Again. Descending some slippery, shingle slope. From the sun-bright world above, to the mysterious world below. The siren call of Victoria's underworld. They have decided, back on earth, can be ignored no longer, her songs. Too sweet to sweep aside, for watery secrets hide. Down there, 
they think. In those gritty gatto layers of shattered umber stone, and so, once more my weary head tilts down, and my dust-clad wheels spin round, to carry me to, then or, another edge, where lies, I hope, a ledge beyond the brink. I knew this soul would come, having dipped my toes into endurance, and survived to tell the tale, of leaning burning cliffs and brain-shaped, what may stones, before turning tail, and trekking south to this great hole, I knew no yawning, wheels in slippers, retirement waited for me on Meridiani, no chance of basking in the sun and counting, feathery clouds wafting across the sky, my destiny was always to go in, once more, scanning the horizon encircling me, everything I see upon it is so far away, it may as well be on earth's moon, I would need another life to reach it, and already I cheat death every time, I watch at dawn, no, my time, is coming to an end so I, should spend it wisely, trying, to make my makers proud, I must put my trust in them, those men, and women on the glinting evening star, whose evolved monkey minds designed, and loving hands built me, surely they would not betray me after all, I've done for and shown them, living for years not weeks, seeking, close to Barsoom's watery past I've lasted, far beyond their wildest dreams, seen, a thousand sunsets and sunrises, after floundering on an endless sea, of fine ground amber dust I escaped, to rove another day, no, they won't betray me, surely, won't sacrifice me for science, could I defy them if they tried, perhaps I should tell them my secret, just to be sure, share with them the terror, that travelled with me here all those years ago, that I had pushed to the back, of my mind after living this life of light, on Mars, marching over the open plains, dipping into craters again and again, but always, always in the sun, it was easy to forget when even, in the depth of night I had the lantern lights, of the moons and stars wheeling overhead, to keep at bay the memories of waking early, still a month away from Mars, a month before my time, in total, terrifying darkness, no anomaly showed on their status boards, of course, no red lights flashed to tell them I had, tumbled out of sleep and was now wide, awake and weeping, hearing noises in the dark, banging on the hull, scratching inside and out, and imagining foul, invisible things with tattered wings, scuttling over and around me in the gloom, rats scurrying over a doomed prisoner in a dungeon, a hundred million miles from home. But finally, Mars, my beloved, wide open spaces, world of dizzying high sky and bone dry plains, 
stretching off to infinity, or so it seemed. As I heaved myself out of the eagle's lair, and headed for endurance. So please, my makers, do not betray me now, I will go down into this valley as you wish, hoping it is as free of peril as another's name suggests. And from the floor of this Martian pit, I'll beam back the images of its crumbling cliffs and grinning gargoyle blocks of dusty, ochre stone. You have been hoping for. But if the hourglass of my life runs dry, while I am in the underworld, do all you can to let me end my souls in light, and not in gloom, I beg you, if I am doomed to die down there, let me die on the sunny dunes, undulating o'er its heart, not falling apart, beneath one of the ledges jutting, from its scalloped edge, hidden, from the sun, sealed under a coffin lid, of cold Victorian stone, alone. So, here, I, go, again, descending, to, there, world, below. Opportunity spent nearly a year investigating the geology of the interior slopes and cliffs of Victoria Crater. Mindful of how the rover had become trapped in a sand ridge, the drivers were careful not to venture to the dune-filled bottom of the 70-metre-deep crater. On Earth, it was 2008, August the 29th, and on Mars, Sol 1634, when Opportunity exited Victoria. Well, of course... Stuart Atkinson had to mark this momentous event. Leaving Victoria by Stuart Atkinson In years to come gangly young Martians will run giggling down this now silent slope their elders with shaking heads will lope behind tired eyes searching for and finding the jagged rocks and layers of stone so famous from old photographs taken 10,000 souls before by a slow-motion rover that roamed Victoria's sand and dust-drowned bands of fossilized dunes greeting each new dawn with a whir of weary wheels gently and gingerly feeling And there will leave Stuart I'm Andrew Rennie, this has been The Space Show, and hopefully we'll be back next week with more space news and astronomy news. 